0: Welcome to the official podcast of the Love Times Two Project. Change the culture and the politics will follow. Here is your host, Mike Victor.
1: Hey, welcome back to the Love Times Two Podcast. I am your sometimes host, Jordan Wooten, board member here at the Love Times Two Project. I'm glad to be back and and pretty excited to have with me today a friend of mine, Jason Thacker. Jason serves as chair of research and technology ethics at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, where he also leads the ERLC Research Institute. Uh, he's the host of a popular podcast called The Digital Public Square, and he's the author or editor of several books, including The Age of AI: Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity, The Digital Public Square: Christian Ethics and a Technological Society, which will hit shelves uh, on February 1st, I believe, and then following uh, Following Jesus in the Digital Age, which we'll spend some time discussing today. Uh, Jason, the graduate of the University of Tennessee and the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where he's currently pursuing a PhD in Christian Ethics. Philosophy and public theology. He's all, he also serves as an associate fellow with the Kirby Lang Center for Public Theology in Cambridge, an advisor for AI and Faith, and a fellow in science and technology at the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Seminary. And there's really no one I'd rather have uh, have on today to to discuss the topic uh, that we'll discuss. Um, so, Jason, uh, welcome! Thanks for joining me on the Love Time to Do podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jordan. Looking forward to it. Well, you know, today's topic, I, I would say, is, is one that's relevant to life in our society and, and to the pro-life movement in a more significant and pervasive way, maybe, than it's ever been. I I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that. Um, I'm speaking, of course, of technology, especially digital technology, um, the, the rapid advance, the way it's sort of crept into every area of our lives, uh, including this, the discussions surrounding the sanctity of life. And while digital technology is, is you know, it's virtually inescapable nowadays, We're still not always good at thinking critically about it and and how we should interact with it. Um, So I guess before we dive into the nuts and bolts of the conversation, Jason, why don't you lead off by by talking briefly about your background um, and and just kind of let us know what led to your interest in studying and thinking critically about the collision between technology and ethics? Yeah, it's kind of
0: an interesting story. It kind of parallels a lot of my life. Uh, this wasn't something I planned to do by any means, but the Lord saw fit to lead me into this area. And I love kind of studying the nature of Christian ethics and how we think about that and how we apply that throughout all of our society. Um, and then specifically a lot of technology, as you said, um, often we kind of default to technology simply being a lot of digital technologies. But reality is technology's always been with us. Um, and Christian ethics has a lot to say about the way we think about technology, how it's shaping and forming us and how we navigate some of the big pressing challenges of our day. Um, but in terms of like my background and study, um, I actually grew up um, with a dad who was working for a Fortune 500 t- a tech company. Uh, so I grew up surrounded by technology. I remember when I was writing my first book, The Age of AI, um, I asked my dad when we got the Internet. And for some listeners, you, that may have been like mid to late 90s, maybe even early 2000s in some places, Um my dad told me, he said, oh, it was the late 80s. And I was like, that's not possible. Like the public internet wasn't out. And he said, well, I was kind of connected into the military base down the street because I was doing some work on their computer system. So, you know, that's the kind of environment I grew up in. My dad is a very much of a techie. Um, he was very into these things. I learned how to strip down a computer and rebuild it pretty quickly when I was a kid. Um, but I was always more of kind of a hardware guy. Um, When I grew up, we had kind of grown up in and out of the church a lot. Um, But when I was 18 years old, I became a Christian, went on to college, fell in love with the local church and felt the Lord calling me into ministry of some type. Um, And that's where these worlds started to kind of collide together Uh, throughout my master's program, coming into the URLC. And was, it was a book actually that kind of uh, shaped and kind of changed everything for me, uh, called Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow, uh, by a professor, an Israeli scholar. Um, he's coming to this from a very non-Christian perspective. Um, And he's talking about the nature of technology, uh, kind of the future of where we're heading, how this is going to be a lot of biomedical advances and biotech and um, a lot of kind of where we're heading in terms of technology. And from a Christian perspective, I just disagreed on a number of issues. And it was that book that caused me to write a little bit. And the more I wrote, the more I read. And that kind of snowballed up into writing my first book, The Age of AI and Artificial Intelligence and how we think about that as Christians and then kind of spawning
1: on to other books, including the one we're going to talk about today, Following Jesus in a Digital Age. Well, that's a good way to to tee up the way we'll kind of get going here. Um, As we make our way through the conversation, we'll we'll sort of narrow the focus, um, you know, eventually down to technology and the way it impacts the pro-life movement. Um, but I think a good place for us to begin is, is what you mentioned earlier, and that's sort of to define the terms. Um, as you mentioned, we, when we hear the word technology, a lot of us think specifically of computers or digital, digital tools or, or similar things in that vein. And, and while those do fall under the category, uh, in fact, that's where we'll spend most of our time. Um, technology, though, includes much more than that. So let's, let's start by answering just a foundational question. What is technology? Yeah, I think that's actually one of the best
0: questions we can be asking, Um, not just for a conversation like this, but really as Christians, when we think about technology, uh, when we utilize that term, uh, people kind of conjure up different ideas. Some of us think of biomedical technology. Some of us think of digital technologies. Uh, Some of us, you know, just kind of think of our iPhones or our social media apps and things like that. And often when we think about it in kind of narrow concepts, we don't see how this really applies to all of life. Um, because one of the things that we've done at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission is that technology, as we talk about technology ethics, um, it's not really a separate set of issues per se. Um, it's really an element of all of the other things that we focus on, including the pro-life movement. When we think about the nature of human dignity and the pre-born and caring for women and uh, upholding uh, the family and seeing families flourish, um, there's a technological component to that. And so one of the things that I, I want to caution us when we start thinking about technology is to get out the, kind of the mindset of digital technologies. Technology has really been with us from the very beginning. When God created us, he gave us these creative abilities to, to make tools to utilize these tools, to work the ground and to keep it that we read about in Genesis, uh, to make our lives more uh, convenient or easier, to augment our abilities, to be able to do things that we couldn't do naturally or on our own. Um, and that was a good God-glorifying use of technology. And so thinking of it in that sense, even the shovel and the hoe and agricultural tools and the wheel and things like this were tools and or technologies of their day. So one of the things that I'm really careful of when we talk about uh, my book, when I say it's following Jesus in a digital age, in the sense that there are other digital age coming. Sometimes when we have these conversations, we kind of narrow cast onto our specific time. We do live in a very unique time, a lot of unique opportunities and a lot of unique challenges before us, Uh, but uh, every society has faced a lot of technological change. If I'm asked what is the most influential piece of technology or kind of uh, culture shaping piece of technology in all of human history, it's not the iPhone, It's not the Internet. It's not social media. It's actually the printing press. And so you take that kind of a larger understanding of what technology is. It's a tool that God has given us the ability to create, to augment our work, to uh, to help make things more convenient and more efficient in our lives. But it comes with a cost. Uh, technology isn't neutral in that sense. And we can kind of unpack that a little bit later, but it is something that is deeply shaping and forming us as people. And that's one of the reasons I want to take my time. And when as a studying Christian ethics to kind of think deeply about that, how is technology shaping and forming us and how is that shaping our perception of God ourselves and even the world around us?
1: Yeah. And and you just alluded to this, but you know, as, as we think about uh, life today uh, the, the argument is, is often made that technology Technology, especially the digital tools that we have at our disposal, uh, it, it's not in itself good or bad per se, but but neutral. Uh, neutral being really the key word there. So it, you know, be it our smartphone or social media or something like that, is a tool that we use, uh, and it's quote goodness or badness sort of depends on the way in which we use it. Um, but in your book, following Jesus in a digital age, you argue for something different when it comes to uh, to these tools uh, that we use, and and you introduce your argument with somewhat of a provocative and haunting question. Um, So speaking to your reader, you ask, quote, uh, you you may think you use these tools each day, but is it possible that you are the one being used? Um, So with that, I guess, why is it ill-advised of us to think of uh, digital technologies, digital tools as neutral? um, And what are some of the ways that they are using or shaping us?
0: Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the most important conversations that we need to have. Often in conversations about technology or how do we use technology as a tool uh, for good and bad, we often kind of think of it as oh, it's essentially good but it, maybe it has some bad uses or it's essentially bad and it maybe can have some redeeming uses. So we kind of take a, a good or a bad approach. And we are either kind of optimists, kind of sheer optimists about the hopes of technology. This is much of early Silicon Valley and kind of early uh, meta and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. A lot of the technology culture of our day was look at all the great things that are happening because of social media. But even in the last year or two, we've kind of seen the dark side of it. And so there are many today who want to reject technology and say we should just kind of uh, become more Luddite in some sense of kind of rejecting technology, uh, stepping away from these things because of the damaging effects. And the problem is, is I think each of those approaches kind of misunderstands technology. If we step back and see technology as a tool, it is a tool that we use. Um, in that sense, this is a really popular view of technology, uh, that it's technology is a tool. It, that's true. But it's not just as neutral tool that's just dependent on how i tr- choose to use it because as i use these tools they are shaping my perception of the world we can see this you know in just really simple and kind of trite example of think think of twitter for say, for example the way that Twitter is designed um, and the way that these profiles are and the way that we engage people, we can easily start to dehumanize our neighbors. We start to treat them as just mere avatars or someone that we can kind of engage and say things and do things that we would never do in real life face to face with someone. But we'll do that online. Why? Because technology is mediating its values to us and it's also shaping how we see the world around us. So instead of seeing people online when we engage as flesh and blood human beings, just like me and you, we start to treat them as just simple avatars or profiles or Just kind of things that we can or people that we can just kind of interact and say anything we want with. And that's a really simple example. But one of the things kind of the, I guess, provocative thesis of the book is that technology is it is a tool, but it's a tool that's deeply shaping and forming us. And even, as I said, and you alluded to that, it's using us because technology is mediating its values to us, meaning it has an inherent design. It want the these companies want you to use these technologies in a very particular way. And so a good example of that, I mean, think of a couple of years ago, there was a big documentary called The Social Dilemma uh, that listeners may be familiar with. And one of the uh, interviewees said, and I I think I like the way he said it, he said, it's not a question. Do you check Twitter in the morning? The question is, do you check it before your feet hit the ground or while you're using the restroom? And that kind of always made me laugh, but it's one of those things that I think most of us, if we're honest, uh, we kind of do fall in that camp. Maybe we're not on Twitter, but probably the first thing you look at when you wake up is your cell phone and you look at social media and emails and notifications, et cetera. And what's the very last thing you look at at, uh, throughout your day? Probably your cell phone. You make a last minute check right before bed. And I would say, even as people are listening to this podcast, your phone is probably within about a foot of you at all times throughout the day. So much so that we have this like low level anxiety when we can't find our phone. That's one of the big questions of technology in our household is, hey, have you seen my phone? So we, and we constantly expect something um, on our phones, whether it's a missed call. Let me check my phone real quick to make sure I didn't miss anything. Well, why? Because we've been conditioned. We've been trained. We've been shaped to expect uh, notifications to expect phone calls, to expect retweets, to expect likes and follows, uh, new emails, et cetera. And all of that shaping technology, shaping our perception, not only our perception of ourselves, but even more importantly of God, ourselves, and then the world around us. And that has a profound effect, specifically when we start thinking about ideas of human dignity. And the pro-life movement and what does it mean to be human, which I think is one of the central and kind of animating questions of basically every question of ethics today is what does it mean to be human? And technology tells us and portrays this certain particular way of what it means to be human and what how humans should interact with one another, that I think it would be good for Christians to slow down and to ask those really difficult questions instead of addressing some of the symptoms of, hey, how do I fix my relationship with social media or why do I feel always so angry or uh, anxious or what have you with social media and digital technologies is to step back instead of addressing those which are important. But ask some of the bigger questions. of What is technology? How is it shaping and forming me? And then how do I counteract that um, using the biblical understanding
1: of wisdom and navigating some of these big challenges before us? Yeah. And, and I guess on top of that, it, it's not it's not only that, that the tools and technologies are, are sort of using and shaping us. Right. They're also uh, forcing us to reckon with with new capabilities, new possibilities and and yeah. Uh, in some ways, a whole new set of ethical questions and dilemmas. And, and to that yeah. point in your book, you write that technology often raises more questions than an answers. Mm-hmm. So can, can you sit down on that and then just maybe give a couple of simple examples of what you mean?
0: Yeah, I think often, especially when Christians or even any people of faith, when they look at uh, some of the modern technology of the day, you know, we can't go to the Bible and find a whole bunch of verses where Paul was talking about navigating artificial intelligence or navigating some biomedical advances or the abortion pill per se. Like we're not finding specific examples, leading some, especially critics of Christian ethics, to say that, you know, the Christian ethic really has nothing to say about technology per se. We're facing new challenges. Uh, the Bible is kind of an outdated relic. It's a book um, that has some good, maybe ethical advice, but it's really not helpful for navigating the challenges we face. And that's, I think, is a fundamental misunderstanding of the Christian ethic, especially biblical ethics, is that the Bible isn't giving us a set of rules per se. It does that in some ways, but it's also giving us a set of principles, um, of priorities, of things that we have to prioritize Um, As Christians, as we shape, as that shapes kind of our, the way we think about what we do, which is really the nature of ethics. So, all that being said is when we think about with technology, um, on one hand, technology is raising new questions. Um, We have questions of biomedical advances. We have questions of uh, artificial intelligence. We have questions of digital technology. And so, those are new per se. But in reality, often they're the very same questions we've always asked as humanity from the very beginning of time, just asked in light of new opportunities. So one of the big things with like social media per se is how is this a um, a place that our vice and our pride and our arrogance and kind of self-sufficiency, uh, these temptations to those things, how is that being manifested in a new way? So in reality, technology is not causing us to ask new questions per se. It's asking these age-old questions just in light of these new opportunities. And so it's not so much a question of, um, what do we do? And the Christian ethic has nothing to say about this. It's actually deeply something to say about it. You go back and read some of the the wisdom literature um, in the Bible, and I always laugh because when I, I walk my students through the Book of Proverbs um, or the Psalms, uh, you're at times you're like, I I think Solomon in this proverb might actually be talking about social media. He might actually be talking about some of the technologies today. Um, you get into the book of James in the New Testament, one of the wisdom, a part of the wisdom tradition as well. And James 119 to be slow to speak, slow to anger and quick to listen. I can't help but read that and think Paul might be talking about Twitter. He may not. but You know, obviously he's not in that context. But you can see how there's these biblical principles and kind of guardrails that shape what it means to be Christian. How are we to live in a Christian way in an ever-changing society? And that's what the wisdom literature and really the Christian ethic gives us, is it gives us those kind of guardrails in terms of some rules, but also points us to our ultimate goal and direction and purpose, which is found in the person work of Jesus Christ. And so, when we say that technology often raises more questions than it answers, what I'm saying is that technology is causing us to ask these new questions in light of new opportunities. But at the same time, there are these age old kind of dilemmas that we've always faced about what does it mean to be human? Is there a God? And if so, what is he like? And how do we interact in the world around us and shape the world around us for good?
1: Yeah. As, as we sort of, uh, I guess, turn a bit here and hunker down on this, this, uh, the topic of life and abortion and pro-life uh, movement, um, we know that, that technology um, in, in a variety of ways has sort of made its mark on, on how we understand the issue of life and abortion and when life originates and all of that. Um, so I, I guess, can you pick out um, one or two uh, of the major ways that technology has sort of changed the pro-life landscape or maybe informed it both in positive and negative ways?
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things I appreciate the way you asked that is because, again, sometimes uh, when we approach technology, we see it as all good or all bad. And I think we have to be honest, kind of be realist in some sense to say, you know, there is a lot of good. I mean, think of even in terms of the pro-life movement. One of the most uh, life altering pieces of technology has been the ultrasound machine. We can now at this point see the, the life of the, the preborn in the womb to recognize this is a human being. This isn't a clump of cells. This isn't some abstract fetus. This idea that we use this language to kind of uh, dehumanize the preborn to act as if they're not worthy and uh, that they don't deserve rights and justice and dignity. Um That piece of technology opens the window to the womb. It helps us to see what's going on, what God is creating in in the life of that mother and inside that mother. And so that's even just one of the pieces of technology is how ultrasound technology is helping us to see when does human life begin? Uh, what is human life? How are we seeing that babies can feel pain? Uh, that they have fingernails and toes and they have, they look human. They are human beings and they're worth their, their, we should be guarding and protecting and caring for their life and upholding their their life um, in every single aspect. So that's one way that technology has kind of shaped the pro-life movement, but even being able to on a flip side of it, in terms of things like social media is to uh, activate people or to share information, to connect with one another, uh, to be together, uh, to learn from one another and to grow. And so that's kind of a, a smaller aspect um, of the pro-life movement and how it's shaping. It's bringing us together to realize there's actually a lot more that we have in common um, and that the pro-life movement isn't some really small minority movement in the nation, but it's actually a much larger movement where we can connect together, share resources and learn from one another about how to care for um, not only the pre-born child in the womb, but also to care for the family and to care for that mother who's often in a, a crisis situation. And How do we care for them and love them in the midst of that? On the flip side, um, technology also causes us, in some sense, to dehumanize one another. We start to treat the value of human life based on their utility. This is, in terms of Christian ethics, Um, when we talk about the nature of ethics. One of the primary kind of families or positions is called utilitarianism, and that's a really fancy word to say that we treat um, an ethical action as good if it has a good, a high utility or kind of return on investment. In some sense, that the good outweighs the bad in terms of the consequences or outcomes. So when you start to treat human beings in a utilitarian framework um, as merely their their value and their worth is dependent on what they do. You can quickly see how that devalues human beings because the preborn, they may not be able to offer a lot to us. They may not have the cognitive capacities. They may not have, uh, they don't have speech at that point. They're, you know, they're young human beings. They're, uh, preborn. They haven't developed into those, into model those kind of characteristics that we commonly associate with what it means to be human. But that also extends to the end of life as well. Where we start to see a push towards euthanasia um, or physician-assisted suicide and other types of pro-life issues, when we start to say, "Well, you know, they don't offer a lot to society," and even in recent weeks we've seen kind of a a, prolifer- a proliferation of this idea that at about seventy-five or eighty years old, uh, that you've kind of outlasted your utility, uh, that it would be better for us to not have a whole bunch of uh, older people because what are they're a drain on society, they're a drain on their families, they're a drain on financial resources and things that could be put to better use. So key in right there when I say use, it's all about kind of the use or the utility of someone. And that is a way that technology has shaped how we view what it means to be human in a really dehumanizing way, in a really dangerous way. And that's where we talk about being pro-life specifically from a Christian ethical perspective. We take and see the value and dignity of every single human life from the pre-born to the very end of life, natural death, to say every human being is created in the very image of God, has infinite value, worth and dignity, not because of what they do, not because of what they contribute, but because of who they are because of how God made them and how he bestowed upon them that value, dignity, and worth that, uh, of simply just being a human being. And so I think that's kind of, we see both sides of the coin there, some of the good positive benefits and also some of the negative ways that technology is shaped and kind of profoundly shaped and altered the proletariat. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of the Love Times 2 Project. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and never forget... Change the culture and the politics will follow.